Well, it is truly a blessing to be with you today, and uh, I just want to give a brief word of testimony uh, before I begin, and that is um, my van that I had been traveling around in, um, I got a diagnosis in late May that you probably shouldn't be driving this van anymore. And I was just about to go into the busiest time of my year, speaking-wise, and uh, okay. And so I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? This is the only vehicle I have. So I started praying, and I, and I asked the Lord uh, to find me a van, and I started traveling. And I traveled all through the month of June and a good portion of July on this van that they told me not to be driving. And uh, I found a van um, and I was able to have it delivered to me Friday morning. So I was able to get the title and everything taken care of so that I could drive drive to Indiana Friday night um, so that I could spend the weekend with Eric and then be here with you guys Sunday morning. So God really provided. I will say that um, my my parents um, did procure an auto loan, so we are working to pay that off. So just so that you can be in prayer for us, that that will be paid off in a reasonable amount of time. It's a five-year loan. I'd like to see it paid off um, in a year or two instead. And I know that God is faithful, and I know that he does not want us um, to be in debt any more than is necessary. So just pray that that will um, happen in a timely manner. But I'm very pleased that God has provided once again for my transportation needs. It can be a challenge when looking for vehicles. So... All that to say, I'm just praising the Lord today, and uh, if you'd like more information, you can talk to me afterwards. And while I'm at it, I will just say thank you to the chapel for their generous donation. That will go a long way towards this goal. All right. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about four keys to a successful Christian life. And I know that that can sound a little new agey. And if you go into bookstores, Christian or non, you will find all kinds of self-help books, and they have similar titles to this. And so it can seem like a very interesting title, maybe an intimidating title, but I assure you that these keys are found within the pages of Scripture. And particularly, most of our attention today will be focused on 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2. And if you will bear with me a second here as I find my place. I have toyed with the idea of going digital about this particular process and I have thought, I have, you know, 
thought that there, there really is, even with the advent of technology, nothing better than opening the Word of God. And I think in, in for lack of a better word, it just shows people that these truths that we're talking about are within the scriptures, and I'm kind of always been an old-fashioned guy, so there that is. But anyway, our uh, our introduction is kind of the key verse to our discussion today, and it is First Peter chapter two, verse seventeen. We're going to look at all four of these aspects. When I was putting together a podcast not too long ago, um, this was one of the verses that I came up with because I was talking about the aspect of honor and how important it is for us to have honor as a virtue that characterizes us as believers. And I came across this verse and it says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of these aspects individually um, as we look at how to four keys to a successful Christian life. And incidentally, most of the material is found right here in Second Peter, or First Peter, excuse me, in this second chapter. My father once told me, and I often remember it, that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And as we go through, we will see from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 onward, Peter is basically going to explain to us what verse 17 means. So we're going to look at the first one, which is honor all men. And just a quick note here, I do have cross-references. And when I come to a cross-reference, what I'm going to do is ask for the men of the church to be looking of these cross-references, and the first one to get to it can stand and read it for us. I do this for two reasons. Because your fingers are probably more nimble than mine, and also because it will hopefully keep you awake. It's kind of tough to follow cake, but I will do my best. Um, so here we go. The first point that I have this morning is to honor all men. And for that, we'll look at First Peter Chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongly. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So we are looking at um, servants in this passage. And for our purposes today, I think we could adequately substitute employers or anyone that we happen to be under at this point. When you're a kid, you tend to think, well... When I'm no longer a kid, I'm not going to be under authority anymore. No one's going to be able to tell me what to do, and I can just do whatever I want. I wish 
that I could grow up fast and have that be the case. But as you grow older, and particularly as you grow older in your Christian faith, you realize that there is always authority in your life. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife. But it doesn't stop there. It says that, the, that Christ is the head of the husband. So no matter who you are, no matter where you're walking in life, you are still under authority if you are doing things correctly. And when we get out from under authority, chaos ensues. If you look at all the, the bad things, the shootings and other things that happen in our headlines today, you can pretty much trace it all back to the fact that we have lost respect for authority. Without respect for God, there is no respect for other people. And it's interesting, in this passage, it says, Be subject to your masters, not only to the good and gentle. Because guess what? If, if my authority is good and gentle, what's my... What's the natural outgrowth of that? I want to serve them. I want to make them better. I want to make them look good. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that I often say when I'm at a job interview and they say, what's your mission if you, if you receive this job? I said, my mission is to make you and your company better for having hired me. Because that's my goal as a believer, is to make people around me see Jesus. And Jesus would have us do everything to the best of our ability. And then he says, but also to the froer. Now that stops us. That's like, well, I, you know, I, I've, heard, I've heard people say even, I had an adult friend tell me once that he couldn't really respect his parents because they weren't believers they never were and I said well the Bible doesn't seem to bear that out it says honor your father and your mother and do everything in honor to them to the glory of the Lord it doesn't say anything about whether they are believers and then to the wife in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about if you have an unbelieving husband and you submit to them, you can win them possibly by your words and your actions. So God is not giving you an out if you have a, a difficult authority. Perhaps it's even a greater responsibility if that is the case. And then he says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongly. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. See, sometimes we do wrong and we suffer for it and then we act like we're being persecuted for our faith. If I take a job... And I'm spending all my work hours sharing the gospel and preaching. I'm not being faithful to my employer. So if they, if they fire me, 
for not doing my job, and I say, well, it's just because I was sharing the gospel, then that's not really the truth, is it? Now, there is cases where you will be persecuted for your faith. Like, um, there was a, a football coach, I think you might have even been here in Indiana. His name was Joe Kennedy. He's a Christian football coach. I think it was at a public school. And he had voluntary prayer at the 50-yard line before every game with, with any team members that wanted to join. It wasn't interfering with his ability to do his job. He was just saying, let's pray and give this game to God if, if we want to. If you want to be here, you can. And he was fired. And so he was willing to stand for his freedom to be able to do that, even if it cost him his job. And it really influenced other people. And other teams ended up following his example after he was fired. So when you do things like this, you are setting an example for others to follow. Very important to keep in mind that whoever you are, you're setting an example. The question isn't whether you are an example. The question is what kind of example are you being? There was an old uh, ad campaign with Charles Barkley back when he was in the NBA, and he said, he once famously said in this ad campaign, I am not a role model. The Bible teaches us that we're all role models. The question is, what are we modeling? Paul says, you are our epistle, known and read of all men. So what are people reading in your epistle? This is an important thing to think about. All right, if someone could look up Matthew 5, 10 to 12... Matthew 5, 10 to 12. This is just a little bit more on the issue of how to react to those who do evil against us. So if someone could read that for me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, so in this passage, Jesus is saying you will be persecuted. He's basically guaranteeing his followers they will be persecuted. But when you're persecuted, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. See, a lot of times when we think of persecution, we, we say, it's just like any other suffering, and we say, God, take me out of this persecution. Give me back my freedom. And I don't think that's necessarily totally bad, but what I'm seeing as I read about the persecuted church is they're not asking us to pray that the persecution be removed. They're asking for more boldness. If you look in Acts chapter 4, where we read a little bit today, it says that after Peter and John were released from prison, this dungeon that they'd been in all, day, all night after being whipped and told never to preach in the name of Jesus again, they ran back to the disciples and they didn't just huddle in fear. They prayed and thanked God that they were accounted worthy to suffer and they prayed for more boldness. 
Paul, in one of his epistles, prays and says, May I have more boldness to share the gospel. Can you think of anyone in Scripture, when you're thinking about somebody who boldly shares the gospel, can you think of anyone who is more bold than Paul? And yet this bold follower of Jesus Christ, this stalwart follower of Jesus Christ is praying for more boldness. So if he needs prayers for more boldness, surely you and I do as well. All right, so we looked at point one, honor all men. Going to our next step in 1 Peter 2.17, love the brotherhood. And, and we'll look at 1 Peter 2.18-20. Oh, I, I read that wrong. 1 Peter 2.21 and 22. For even here unto you, here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And as I think about loving the brotherhood, I think about this example that Jesus was, that he never did evil to someone and he never bore false witness to them. It's easy to want to put up our best front and not to necessarily be honest with those around us, but he's saying the example of Jesus was that he didn't do any sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And that that should be what characterizes our relationship as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus tell his disciples before he went away to heaven? He said, You'll know, they'll know you are my disciples by what? By your love for one another. I heard a, a preacher not too long ago say that a lot of times with squabbles, even within the church, it's more like they'll know you're Christians by your shove. Because we like to shove each other around. and We, we appreciate God's grace for ourselves, but we don't do good at extending it to others. We're kind of like that man who owed a huge amount and he couldn't pay it and he went before the king and said king have patience and I'll pay thee all and the king knew he couldn't pay it and so he said I forgive you and then he went and found his brother who owed far less and said give me all that you owe me and he said have patience and I will pay thee all and he probably could have because it was a much smaller amount but instead he threw him in prison and then the king called the first servant back and said, Since you didn't show mercy to your debtor, I will no longer show mercy to you. And he threw him in prison. And Jesus said, That is how God will react to us if we do not forgive one another. So this is so very important. Peter himself learned some things from Paul about loving the brotherhood. 
There was a time that is related in the book of Galatians where Paul was visiting Peter. Peter had been fellowshipping with Gentile brethren and he stepped away, distanced himself. And Paul says, I withstood him to his face because this was wrong. He says, you've already heard, you saw through Cornelius that there is neither Jew nor Greek that, I, that God is not a respecter of persons, and now you're backtracking on that. And he says, Peter, this is unacceptable. So Peter knew of what he spoke when he was talking about loving the brotherhood. So we've talked about honor all men, love the brotherhood, and on this issue of loving our brothers, let's look at 1 John 3.16. If someone could find that for me and read it for us. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. Alright, Jesus has set the bar high. We often talk about how we, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's great, but how many of your brothers and sisters in Christ would you literally lay your life down for? Incidentally, this is the same request that God makes of husbands to wives. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. If we had that attitude in our Christian marriages today, the divorce rate would plummet. But we often say, well, I want to be a Christian. I want to do the right thing, but I don't want to go too crazy. You know, I, I saw this meme floating around Facebook, and it really sums things up. It says, it, it's basically a non-believer talking to a believer, and, he, and it says, you know, you're pretty crazy about all this Jesus stuff. And then the response is, well, he was pretty crazy for me when he died on the cross. That's the level to which He loved us, and that's the level to which He wants us to aspire to love one another. To lay down our lives for one another, if need be. And laying down your life does not necessarily mean the ultimate giving your life sacrifice, but every day there's opportunities to lay down our lives for one another. Paul says it this way in Philippians, let each esteem others better than themselves. So as we consider this issue of loving the brotherhood. May we think of that. Then our third point, we've talked about honor all men. We've talked about love the brotherhood. And the third point, back to 1 Peter 2.17 says, fear God. Fear God. And for that, we'll go to 1 Peter 2. 23 and 24. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. 
we need to realize the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. A lot of times, we, we stop short of realizing it. We take it for granted. I'm so thankful for the Lord's table every week because we forget. How often in the Old Testament did God say, I am the Lord God of Israel who led your people out of bondage. If you look through those first five books of the Bible and even beyond, you will find numerous mentions of it. Why? Because it was so easy to forget. In Judges chapter 1 it says, There arose a generation that knew not Joshua nor the wonders that God had performed. That is one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. These people, these Israelites had followed God. Even though they faltered, they'd followed God for years and years. And Joshua dies and the people that served with Joshua and they served God all through those times. But when those people were dead, there was no one left that served the living God. Brothers and sisters, this should never be. We have a great responsibility to pass our faith to the next generation so that no one will say of our descendants that there arose a generation that knew not God. It only takes one generation to forget God. I'm thankful for God's mercy even in Judges and all the times that He rescued the people but it's kind of interesting that in the first chapter of Judges, it says there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in their own eyes. And in the last chapter of Judges, it basically says there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in their own eyes. Judges is a very depressing book, except for the fact that you know that God is faithful. And when repentance is present, He will restore you. And so as we are going through the Christian life, you want to have a successful Christian life, fear God. A lot of times it seems like we, we, do, we talk about Jesus as the friend, and He is a friend. But we don't talk enough about Him as the Holy God. Because you see, you cannot appreciate the mercy of God, unless you understand what you've been saved from. Unless you understand that without Christ, we are under the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5 says that while we are yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why did He have to die? Because we were without strength. There was nothing in the natural man that would tell us to repent from our sins and to live a holy life. Nothing. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. And when we come to Christ by faith, Ephesians chapter 1 says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day that Jesus comes back. It's a promise. My friends, if I could lose my salvation, I would. I lose everything. I, I, well, not everything, but I lose a lot of things. And uh, if I could lose my salvation, I would. But I can't because I'm hid with Christ in God. And so, I'm so thankful for that. If we could 
consider further in this issue of fearing God and its rewards. If we could look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Timothy 4.8. If someone gets that, if they could stand and read that for us. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul, in this passage, was getting ready to leave this earthly life, to go on to the next life in heaven. And he says, I am going to receive a crown of life. And not only am I going to receive it, but you can too, if you love his appearing. If you live your life with Jesus at the center, you can have this reward too. Paul was not, never said, I'm better than everyone else. As a matter of fact, he often said, I'm worse than you. When he first started writing, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. And in his last epistle, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said, I am the chief of sinners. See, the reality is that the closer you get with God, the more you realize how unworthy you are and how all you can do is stand in awe of what God does in the life of one who is sold out to Him. That's all you can do. I was born three months premature in May of 1979. May is a really good month to be born if you're born on time. I really enjoyed the fact that it was usually Memorial Day weekend. Um, I liked the fact that they threw parades for me, you know. And I liked the fact that it was like, halfway through the year, so every six months I got presents. These were good things. But, when you're not supposed to be around until August, uh, it can cause problems, and it did. That's why I'm in a wheelchair today. But I was raised by godly parents who believed God and knew that God had a purpose for my life. They feared God. They taught me to fear God. My father taught me two of the most valuable lessons in life. He taught me to love the Word of God with all my heart and to love children. Because children are a treasure from the Lord. And uh, I'm so thankful that He taught me those lessons. And if I did not grow up with this idea that I should fear God and live with Him at the center, I would have been dead a long time ago. When I was 13, I was thinking of ending it all. I did not want to live. I had made a commitment to Jesus Christ when I was five years old. I know it was real. But for the next nine years, I struggled with how God made me. I was like, God, I can't do anything to serve you. I'm just stuck in this chair. There's nothing that I can do. And I know you say, I, I know you say, God, that you don't make mistakes, but, but you must have made at least one because I, I'm definitely a mistake. That was how I felt as a 13-year-old boy. It was, it was after the death of my three-month-old baby brother, John, that I was like, why would God take a healthy baby boy 
who had so much potential and leave me when I'm useless. And so the next year was the roughest year of my life. But coming out of that, God broke through and he said, Andrew, I don't need to change you on the outside to use you. I just need you to let me change your heart. And when I change your heart, then it will be me who wills and does my good pleasure through you. And you will sit in awe of what I'm able to do. And I have. God is so good. So as we think about this, may we be looking for His appearing. May we be living in the light of eternity. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. And that they might have life more abundant. A lot of times we think, that's life in heaven. And it is. But He came so I could have abundant life here. He came so that I could say that I'm not just the refuse of society, that I'm not a mistake, that I don't need to end my life because I'm not productive, but that I'm here because God made me the way He made me for a purpose. He doesn't make mistakes. We live in a country that has slaughtered its future in the amount of almost 60 million unborn children. Why? Because we fail to see as a nation that God created us in His image. One day He's going to set everything right. It's going to be amazing to meet all those babies. I'm, I'm excited for that. And I'm excited to get out of this crippled body and to start running on the streets of gold. I have my running shoes on order. And I'm just so excited for that. Okay, so we talked about honoring all men. We talked about loving the brotherhood. We talked about fearing God. And now we're going to talk about another one that's a little tough. And that is to honor the king. In our contemporary place where we sit here in the United States of America, we could apply it to honoring the president of the United States. Now, I have to admit that he is a very tough person to honor right now. But I also have to remember that God died for him, that Jesus died for him, just as much as he died for you and me. That Jesus loves him as much as he loves you or me. That Jesus can save him from the filth of sin just as much as he saved me. And so we truly can honor the king. And why do we do that? Verse 25 kind of gives us the answer a little bit. It says, For you were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto, you, unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We honor our authorities in this world because we know that our true authority would want us to. We know that whoever sits on the highest throne of this land, Jesus is still king. And we can trust Him. First <clears throat> uh, Peter, First Peter two thirteen says, "Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to King as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by Him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them." that do well. 
Now, obviously, we need to at times say, regardless of what you say, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. There may come a time when I'm put in jail for preaching the Word of God. Especially in its unadulterated form that says sin is sin. And the only way to righteousness is Jesus. That could happen. It happened to the Apostle Paul. But you know what? He kept right on preaching. I feel weak right now. I don't feel like I have the strength to do that. But all I can do is pray that when and if the time comes that He will give me a special grace that I do not yet possess. You know, a lot of times people will ask me, well, how do you deal with living in the chair day in and day out? My simple answer to you is this. First of all, sometimes I have hard days. Sometimes I'm just like, Lord, let it be over. But I don't do it in the hopeless way that I did as a teenager. Rather, I just long for heaven. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. The second thing is that God doesn't give me your grace. God gives me the grace that I need. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know how I would ever do that. If God ever puts you in the chair, He'll give you the grace to deal with it. I remember before I lost my brother, I had heard of other people losing infants, and I would say, how in the world could they ever deal with that? And I remember my parents had similar thoughts. But when John Michael died, they were able to deal with it by the grace of God. And only His grace. Two of the biggest things that break up marriages are having a child with a profound disability and losing a child as an infant. My parents have weathered both those storms and have been married for 38 years. Something that I am very thankful for and they only did it by the grace of God. I read somewhere recently that the, the only perfect marriage is a marriage where two imperfect people choose never to give up on one another. That's the definition of a marriage. And my prayer is that if, if God is willing, that He will uh, bring the right person into my life so that I will be able to have a marriage someday that's an example of Christ and His church. So that I can, Lord willing, raise children to the glory of God. And so that I can shatter the stereotype when the world seems to think it's impossible. Because see, every time I do something that the world thinks is impossible then guess who I get to point to? Jesus Christ, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or think. This is the exciting world in which you and I live. So as depressing as the news gets, it gets more exciting every day in some ways because this is all in the Bible. It's all prophesied. Paul said that people would become lovers of themselves. He said they would be disrespecters of parents. He said that they would heap upon themselves teachers who would itch their ears. That's what he said. But that means that those of us who refuse to itch ears, who are preaching the truth, must be bolder. We must beseech you to pray for us for boldness because... The time has not come to sit in a corner and hang on until the Lord comes back. The time has come to shine brighter in this ever-darkening world. That is what we're called to, brothers and sisters. As I end, I just want to say to you, go back to our introduction. 
First Peter two seventeen to honor all men, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor the king. There's obviously more detail we could go into, but those four things, if those four things are present in your life, you will have a successful Christian life. This isn't self-help mumbo-jumbo. This is the word of the living God. And it's true. And the cool thing is, Jesus will be with you all the way. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you that you didn't just tell us to live the Christian life alone. As a matter of fact, you said these two truths. You said, without me, you can do nothing. But you also told me that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Lord, we rest on both of these truths. I ask that you would bless each of these individuals here today, that you would help us on our various journeys throughout the day and journeys home, and that you would be honored and glorified. I pray right now for Candace Dietrich, Lord, and I just pray that you would touch her body, that you would heal her, that you would help her to have the strength and courage to go through this, the grace that we were talking about earlier, the strength to be a mom to her children, even through this. Lord, we just pray that you would be honored and glorified even now in the whole process. And I pray for John as well as he supports her. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.